Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is going to address our cultural understanding of worship. For so many of us, we think that worship is only something that happens at church. But the truth is that we worship anything that we ascribe worth to. This morning, we will learn that our worship as a holistic component of our lives is directly tied to our understanding and thereafter following God's will. And thanks for joining us as we look to refocus our understanding of worship. It was a couple, quite a few months ago, uh, my family and I were watching one of those nature shows narrated by David Attenborough. You guys know the kind, right? And uh, this particular scene had a, uh, a bunch of caribou who were in migration. I do a great British accent right now, and fake, but I can't do it. It'd be terrible. Um, uh, but the, the story was unfolding with um, uh, the, the nature photographers here with showing there was a wolf pack. And so the wolf pack was here trying to feed its family and was beginning to circle the caribou. And every now and then the camera would show you shots of the caribou and it would kind of hone in on the little weak ones. Like you kind of knew what was coming, right? The music would start to get a little bit more ominous. And uh, one of the things that you could, you could tell was that there were kind of two different groups of these youth caribou. Uh, there were those that were sticking close to their parents and in many ways kind of uh, watching their parents, right? As the adult deer would respond, the young would uh, mimic. They would, they would watch what the adults did and they would do the same thing. But then there were these hooligan youth uh, that were kind of trailing off to the edges and then the you know, the music would get a little more ominous, and then they were trailing behind. And um, you've seen this, right? You, you, you've, we've, we've all seen this before, right? The, the ones that get picked off were the ones that were not staying with the herd. They were the ones that were not watching carefully and mimicking, uh, imitating the behavior of those who knew better. Um, this is a metaphor for us this morning, even as you and I look to our own walk in this world and see that there are, in fact, many young people today who are being drawn astray. I want to make sure that you don't confuse this as an indictment against youth. This is a lesson for you. This is a lesson for me. We live in a world that seeks to conform us according to its values and wills away from the heart and desire and the will of God. And because of that you will invariably end up with moments in your life where you have a moment of crossroads. What should I do? Should I go to the right or should I go to the left? And the difficulty for many of us is that we are so conditioned and patterned to think after the values of this world that to think after the will of God is something that it becomes a challenge for us. And so for today, we are continuing in an extended series that we're entitling Refocus. Because what we need to do is be reminded of the will of God in the midst of an environment and a society that is antithetical to the will of God. Now, this is not a trick question. Where do you find the will of God expounded? Hopefully you all brought your swords today. You brought your Bibles today. Uh, Because by the working of the Spirit of God within our hearts, here is the hope, your eyes... And the eyes of your heart will be opened so that you will know what God's will is. 
I just want to remind you of uh, Chris Kuzak's message last Sunday, uh, focusing on prayer and how prayer is effective and um, making sure we understand that there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. There was one particular verse that Chris used towards the end of his message that came out of the book of Romans. Looking to the role of the Spirit. Paul says that we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit inside of us helps us, intercedes in our behalf with groans that words can't express. For who knows the mind of man within him except the Spirit of God? And God the Father knows the Spirit. So the Spirit will help us according to God's will. I'm, I'm dovetailing out of his message because it's a very similar message that we're going to find today. Uh, for us today, the subject is worship. However, I want to make sure that you understand that what I don't mean is singing. I think it's so easy for us to categorize worship as something that happens. Oh, it's at the beginning of the service with the guitar and the piano, right? It is not. Worship is a life that imitates God, follows after God, and obeys the leadership and will of God. That's what worship is. And if we were to go through life, in fact, our Christian life, having so narrowly categorized worship as simply a couple of songs, um, we will fail to understand the full extent of what it means to be a Christ follower, especially a Christ follower living in a society that is opposed to his will. So that is why for today, we are going to seek to refocus our understanding according to God's word for what worship truly is. In order to do this, we're going to look for a passage towards the end of the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. And as we work through the passage, I'm, I'm going to read through it. And I have about six primary observations, but they're going to flow in a particular order. So that's what I want you to watch for this morning. Uh, normally, as we study God's word, we're offered um, unique observations from God's text that build for us a conclusion by which we can apply to our lives. But this morning, um, even though we're going to have those, this morning, uh, there's going to be a, a, a little little change to the flow, to the order. So I, I just want to draw your attention to that. Ephesians 5, 1668. page 1668 of our Pew Bibles. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll work through those observations. Starting in verse 15, Paul writes to the church. Be very careful then how you live. Not as the unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to the God, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to pause there for this morning. One just quick note at verse 21 in your Bible belongs to that paragraph. I would encourage you to bring verse 21 into verse 22. That's a whole nother sermon. We'll deal with that another time. 
Um, let's just uh, pay attention here as we seek to walk through what Paul is saying here to the church in Ephesus. Um, of the observations that you have in your sermon notes, they're categorized at the beginning with a why, a what, and a how. And that's what I want us to pay attention to. In these few short verses, we are given uh, a reason for what we're to do. We're given what it is we're to do, and we are also then told how to do it. And that's what we're going to give our attention to this morning. However, we can't begin with the why. We have to begin with the what. And this shows up in verse 17. This conclusion I offer to you that we need to refocus our will according to God's will. That's where we have to begin for this morning. This is the third observation because we have to begin with the what we're talking about before we talk about the why or the how. What is it, Paul, that you want the church to know? It's as simple as this. (laughs) Don't be an idiot. (laughs) That's my paraphrase. He says, don't be foolish. Rather, understand what the Lord's will is. What he means by understand is not that you just simply have an intellectual assent to say, this is what God wants. That's not what it means. It means by understanding what what God's will is, um, this is actually what I need to want. My will would lead me away from God, but the more that I don't act like a fool and the more I understand what God's will is, it will refocus my will. So that's the what that we're dealing with. Paul wants to encourage the church to refocus their will after God's will. Verse 17, he says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. When I was in high school, I worked at the uh, uh, Florence County Road Commission. And uh, there was a, uh, you know, I was the low man on the totem pole. So they had me at one point a pressure washing the warehouse. Now, I had never used a pressure washer before. I didn't actually kind of understand what it was I was to do. I was just told to go and use the pressure washer. So like a dumb teenager, I went out there. And look, if you've ever used a pressure washer and you're a teenager, you know it's a lot more fun to shoot the dirt with it and see it spray out there. Um, I had uh, one of the foremen come out. Flunker! What, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing. Uh, he, he, took the, he took the time then to show me, this is, this is how you do it. You start at the top, you start at one side, get it all the way across and work your way down. Now, you could probably classify me as a fool. You probably could, because I didn't even know enough to do that very, which is to me obvious today, hopefully to all of you, that's obvious what to do. But to a teenager, that wasn't obvious. You know what I needed? I needed someone to explain to me what it was I was supposed to do, and then I understood. And so once I understood, what did I do? I did what I was supposed to do after that. Here's the story for you and I as Christians. It's not just come to church. It's not just, oh, I'm a Christian. You know what it is? It's you and I are born fools. And we live in a world of fools. So don't be foolish. But you need to be taught such that you understand what God's will is. Uh, There's an interesting word that's used here. If you look with me in verse 17, the word understand is not the common Greek word that's normally used for understand. Uh, The word itself means to pay attention. It means to focus on, um, I think one of the, a good way that uh, I've heard it uh, when I was young, did your teacher ever tell you this? Time to put your thinking caps on. Do you ever, 
You ever hear that before? That's kind of the verb that's used here. So just to read it in that sense, it says, therefore, don't be foolish, but pay attention. Put your thinking cap on to understand what the Lord's will is. This takes a measure of effort on our parts. But let's be honest. There's a lot of distractions in our world. I, I have you here for how long? <laughs> Longer than many of you wish to be. No, I have you here for, you know, just 30 minutes more. And then after that, how do we collectively understand God's will? Well, I hope you come to Bible study. I hope you find your personal devotional time in the morning or in the evening to open God's word. What are the distractions in your life? What are those things that would keep you from being conformed in your heart, in your mind to the likeness of Christ to understand God's will? Because there's many. It was last weekend I was uh, uh, flying on an airplane and, uh, you know, I brought headphones with me and I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to listen to music uh, while the stewardess there is going through her spiel. So while she's like, there are two aft exits, I'm, we built this city. Uh, that, that's, that, that's where I'm at. And she's, she's like, in the case of a water emergency, we built this. Right. I'm, I'm not paying any attention. Um, what about you? What about you through life? What, what, are, what are those distractions in your life where God would be trying to give us heads up here? This is what's coming down the pike. Are you prepared? Are you ready as a believer to face what it will mean for you in this life? Because it's so much easier to put your headphones on and just be distracted. So this is the what? This is, this is the whole heart of it. I could end the whole message right here. Unfortunately, Paul has a lot more to say to us. But this is the key. We need to refocus our will to come in line in accordance with God's will. Now, Paul doesn't just start with that. He actually starts with the reason why this is so important for us. And so I have this to offer to you on our first one. That the reason why is because we need to refocus our walk according to wisdom. Look with me in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, there's a reason why he's giving this command. I want you to know it's a, it's a command. Um, be careful how you walk. The word here that's used is the word peripateo. It's a really interesting Greek word because pateo means to tread and the prefix peri means around. So the word literally means as you walk around. So this gets translated into English as how you live. This is how you live. But this isn't the first place that Paul's mentioned this in chapter 5. Turn with me back to verse 8, if you wouldn't mind. Look with me in chapter 5. Just look back to verse 8, because Paul says, he mentions it earlier. He says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live. Does your Bible say live? Live as children of light. Think about that for a moment with me. It doesn't say live as a soldier of light. It doesn't say live as an agent of light. It says live as a, as a child, as a child of light. And so th that word live is peripateo. It's the same one that shows up here in verse 15. And so what I'd like to offer to you is the reason why you need to be very careful how you live is because there's a lot of unwisdom that's out there. So be careful because you are no longer a child of the dark. You're a child of the light. So be careful how you walk. There needs to be a change in your perspective and attitude for how you and I have focused our hearts 
to pay attention to our new identity. Um, I, love the, I love the concept of light. Have, have you ever had, uh, early in the morning, have you ever had your spouse like turn the light on in the morning? It's like, oh, you got to warn me. Like, you, you know, anybody ever have that? Be honest in church. No one's ever, okay, thank you, a couple of you, yes. Um, what, why, why is that so hard? Here's why. Your eyes are what? They're not trained for what? They're not trained for the light. They've been accustomed and comfortable with the what? With the darkness. That's, that's all of us in this world. That's, that's the whole world. They're so used to the darkness that when the light shows up, it's like, could you, could you, would you mind toning it down? And just think of the spiritual requirements for that. Especially for those who don't yet know the, the Spirit of God, who know Jesus Christ in their hearts. That the love of God is kind of this, oh, I, I'm not ready. I'm just not ready for it. Turn it off. And for those of us who do know Jesus Christ, it's like, can we get more light? Like, just crank it up. So what's, it, what's the change that needs to happen? There needs to be a refocusing that we would focus on the light because, as the Bible says, you are now a child of light. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write um, just after this observation of because you are God's child. That's why. And so refocus your walk how you live according to wisdom because you are a child of God. My sister played basketball in college and um, I was, I mean, I wanted to be the biggest fan. You know, I was the one screaming and yelling, cheering, yelling at the refs, right? That was awesome to be a big brother when your sister's playing basketball. Um, And their team was so good, they made it to the um, NAIA tournament uh, and and were, were marching their way through the tournament. Um, however, one of the things that, that our school did was they broadcast the game over the radio and one of the announcers got sick. And so who do you think they asked to fill in as an announcer? That's right. I got to be like Larry McGarren if you're a Packer fan, right? I got to, I got to be the color commentator for my sister's basketball game. Now, <clears throat> here's the problem. I was used to cheering and cussing. And guess what you can't do on the radio? You, you really can't. You, you, you got to dial it back because you're not a, just a spectator anymore. You now have a function. You now have a purpose. And so I had to change my behavior based upon my identity. That's, that's what this is for all of us. Right? Maybe there was one time you could carry on any way you wanted to, but to be changed now, to be in the light, gives you a unique and a new identity, which means you need to start to refocus things. All right, if you're good with that, give me an amen if everybody's good there. All right. uh, one more on the why that he gives. If you look at verse 16, he says, by making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I, I want to explain that a little bit. Here's how I would characterize it. You need to refocus your work according to the times that we live in. So he says, make the most of every opportunity Because the days are evil. The word here for make the most of every opportunity is a word. It's like a financial word in Greek. It means to redeem Uh, in the same way that you can have a coupon, right? That says uh, for a limited time, act now, right? You you need to go and turn that thing in and redeem it. That's a very similar concept to what he's saying here. However, the problem is not that you're running out of time. So I want to clarify this, because if you just read verse 16, it says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's not, it's, not a simp- it's not simply that we're running out of time. What Paul means here 
is that there is a task to which you are called to redeem the time. That means to repurchase it and reclaim it because it's broken. That's what he means by saying that the days are evil. Uh, a good illustration that I can think of uh, that to make sense of this is raking leaves. That's kind of a theme right now, right? Raise your hand. Do you rake leaves? Anybody raking your leaves? Why are you raking your leaves? Think about that for a minute. Why do we do that? Here's why. Because that's not what the lawn's supposed to look like. That's it. That's although if you thought the lawn was supposed to look like it was covered with leaves, guess what you wouldn't do? You wouldn't rake leaves. But that's not what it's supposed to look like. So what do you do? You get out there and you go to work because you're trying to make it look like what it's supposed to look like. That is your and my task as Christ followers. This world is corrupt. It's broken. It's, it's got death falling all over it in every sphere of life. But you know the author of life. You have been redeemed. In fact, you know, if you know God's will, you know what this world's supposed to look like. It's not supposed to look like the hate and yelling and jealousy and coveting. That's not what it's supposed to look like, full of lust and idolatry and selfishness. That's not what it's supposed to look like. You got, you got a mess everywhere. So what are we to do? Yeah, we're to go and get busy and take the, take the Spirit of God into those dark places and reclaim it, redeem it for Jesus. That's what this verse means. When he says, make the most of every t- opportunity because the days are evil, he doesn't just mean get after it because you're running out of time. He means the world's broken. And in its brokenness, you, by God's mercy, have been made the repairman or the repairwoman. So here's what I encourage you to do if you're taking notes again behind this first or the second one. Uh, it says refocus your work according to the times. I would encourage you to add to that because you are a repairman living in a broken world. Now, if you don't know what it's supposed to look like, right? If you didn't know that the side of the building needed to be... Um, <clears throat> uh, Thank you. Power. What you knew exactly. Thank you. If you didn't know it needed to be power washed, um, and what it was supposed to look like, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't go to work. But if your will has been conformed to God's will, now you know what it's supposed to look like. And this is why we need a redemption of our walk, our lives. We need a redemption of our work as well. So we got to refocus those accordingly. All right. Let's move on to the how. All right. Those. That's the why and the what. Let's move on to the how. If you look in verse eighteen. Again, just to make sure we're tracking together, this is how we are to be recognizing God's will. How do we best do that? Well, verse 18 tells us, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I want to offer this to you as an observation. We need to refocus our wits according to the Spirit's control. This is how you think. These are the things that you value and desire and love. Uh, your wits here would be affected by alcohol, would they not? Yeah, you, you would lose control over your own faculties. You would, you would lose the ability to make discerning right decisions because that's what alcohol does. By the way, that's not the only thing that takes that control away from you. That is the one that Paul has, has chosen here, right? Don't get drunk because when you're drunk, you are not in control. You have given over control. And so you need to keep your wits. You need to keep your mind about you. Well, how do you do that? How does the Christian do that? 
Well, they do that by recognizing the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So he gives us the answer there in verse 18. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are, there are entire books that are written on this one verse. I mean, a whole sermon could be preached just on this one verse alone. Um, I simply want to give you just a handful of observations. The first is the, is the word debauchery that's used here. I had to look it up. It means disorderly living that results in a lack of self-control. It means wasting resources for sensual desires. It means living in excess that leads to ruination. That's debauchery. I would submit to you that you don't have to be drunk to do that in this life. It is very easy for you to live in excess and therefore ruin your life simply because you're not following God's will. So remember, this is the how. This is how you and I come in line with God's will. And the the last thing that I want to share with you is the concept of control. So in the same way, this is why Paul uses this, this illustration. In the same way that alcohol controls a person, where they lose understanding of their own faculties, the Spirit of God likewise needs to fill you in a way that controls you. Everybody with me on that? You get that concept? I need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Especially when I'm driving. Anybody else there? Right? Yeah, man, some people just pulling out right in front of you. Woo! Testing my flesh here, brother. Right? I need to be controlled, not by Ryan. I need to be instead controlled so that my actions and words and thoughts, they flow not from myself, but they would flow from the Spirit of God. That's what this means. Uh, two other ways in Greek that we would miss it in English. This is called a present passive verb. Uh, present tense meaning this is continual. This happens over and over and over. It's not just that you're controlled by the Spirit one time. I was in church. I was controlled by the Spirit. Now I get to go be however I want. That's not how it works. This is a present tense verb. It means it's happening continually in your life. And it's a passive verb, which means it's nothing you do. It's actually something you allow to be done to you. By, by being passive, this is the Spirit of God working in your life. So think, of, think with me on this. It's not so much you have to... Isn't that good news, by the way, in church that you need to be better? You need to do it. You need to work harder. That's not, that's not the message. The message is instead a yielding of your own will and desires, saying, Lord, you fill me. You fill me up. So like a cup that needs to be filled to overflowing with content, that is what Paul means when he says, be filled with the Spirit. And this now is the how you get to understand the will of God. I want to share with you another place, again, to reiterate the same passage that Chris used last Sunday. Romans 8, Paul says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes, watch this, for God's people in accordance with what? The will of God. How, how am I going to know the will of God? I, I could go to the right. I could go to the left. I, which way do I go? The Spirit of God will help you. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God will direct you in accordance with God's will. All right, number five. We also need to refocus our words according to God's character and praise. This shows up in the next verse, verse 19. Paul says, speak to one another with psalms, 
hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, I, I just want to make sure <clears throat> to recognize to you, uh, he does not say sing. Did you notice that? It doesn't say sing to one another. It says speak to one another. Isn't that bizarre? And then he lists a bunch of songs, three different kinds, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Psalter for the, for the Israelites, that was their hymnal. And we have hymnals now today, right? And then you have praise songs, spiritual songs. Here's what he means on this. This is, this is critical, by the way, for our understanding of worship. The reason why we sing what we sing is not so that we have an emotional ascent to euphoria or a feeling that makes us feel warm and fuzzy and that God loves me. All that's fine. That's all, that's all just fine. But that's not why we sing the words of the hymnal and of the psalms and of spiritual songs. Do you know why we do? We sing those words because those words being repeated through our minds retrain and refocus us to think about the truth of the character of God. You and I need nothing more in our lives than to be continually reminded of who God is. And then to do that in a way that shows mutual and corporate interaction. So that collectively we remind one another. Have you ever had to do this? Have you ever run into somebody who's just having a really crummy day? I've thankfully had people do this for me where their response was, hey, Ryan, God is able. God's got this. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? Because I needed to be reminded of that. And so the words of our songs need to be spoken to one another so that we refocus our, our words upon who he really is and upon his promises and therefore upon his praise. Um, in fact, I would be willing to bet that you've had moments in your life where you didn't want to come to church. Do you ever have a week like that? Man, I ain't going to church. It's the last thing I need. Do you know that's the best thing you need? I'm, I'm tired. It's been a rough week. I mean, it's, I'm up early. Pastor drones on and on and on. <laughs> so you, you, you would be in your heart thinking of all the reasons not to come to church. But hopefully, like me, when you do come here, you leave filled up. Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever have just one of those weeks and you come in and you're just like, man, that was the best thing I needed. I just needed to be with God's people again. And there is kind of a feasting that goes on when we remind ourselves of the character of God and who he is. Um, on, my, on my drive in this morning, anybody coming from Iron Mountain saw there was some roadkill in the middle of the road. And uh, as I was driving up, there was like 10 buzzards, you know, ravens that, that in the middle of the road. I mean, these are gutsy ravens, right? They, they, all, they all flew off. And it made me just kind of wonder, how do they know? Who, how do they know to gather there? Who's, who's letting out the, the cry? And if you've ever been in, out in the woods or, or just outside, you know that ravens have a, right? And that they kind of call one another to gather together. It might be a funny illustration I'm using here, but listen, that's what we need to do to feast on God. We need to call to one another. And the more that you hear that call, the more we will gather and the more we will feast. So we need to refocus our words and to refocus our words so that we encourage one another upon the character and upon the praise of God Almighty. All right. Lastly, we need to refocus our worship according to God's sovereignty. This is a, this is a big one. This is the last one. So, uh, let me just keep your attention here for this final one. He says, uh, sing and make music in your heart. To the Lord, 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice he says to sing and make music where? In your heart. Please, please hear me. Worship comes from your heart. Uh, there, was a, there was a time in my own spiritual journey where I would sing in college. I went to a Bible college, right? And so we would have chapel and, and I would try to sing the harmonies so that everybody around me would be like, dude, you've got a good voice. Man, you sound good. Now, who am I bringing glory to? Not to God. And I remember because the spirit of God, thankfully, will not let one of his children continue to live in sin. I remember just this heavy conviction over that. And I decided in order for me to truly worship, I need to not sing. Instead, I need to let the music resonate in my heart. And I need to dwell on those words so that my own sense of pride does not move me to, to, um, to remove me from the ability of worshiping God. Instead, what I need to do is I need to make music and a sing where? I need to sing in my heart to who? Look at the text. Who do you sing to? Help me out here, church. Look, Chelsea got the kids to answer her. What's, come on now. Sing and make music in your heart. What's it say? To the Lord. Yeah, not to each other. You're not singing for the people around you. Let it begin in the heart. And the way that you and I are able to do this, because we've got to continue into verse 20, is by, here it is, this is the how, remember, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Does your Bible say everything? Hopefully that's a tough one for you today. Hopefully this is a, yeah, it's a good thing I showed up here because you know what? I am tempted to only sing when life's good. I am tempted to only worship when things are great and go in my way. But the Bible teaches us here, if you're going to fall in accordance with the will of God, if that's going to replace your will, you know how you do that? Well, it starts by being filled with the Spirit. And then you speak to one another, change your words. And then after that, you begin to worship God Because he is in control. That's what this means. Always giving thanks. That's tough. Thanks? You know, for for the crappy week I had, you want me to give thanks? For everything. Here's how you and I are able to do that. The only way you and I are able to do that is when we understand that God is able. Amen? God is able and he is good and so whatever you face whatever trial you're going through whatever the thing that has you on your knees the bible says give thanks uh give me just a a moment here to give you a little mini message inside this message because i think that when i just relate that command to you and i don't really tell you how to do that it almost doesn't work here's how i think you and i should do that I think that the very best way you give, you give God thanks in difficult circumstances is you thank him that now you are weak. You thank him that now you cry out to him. You thank him that now I have a reason to bring me to my knees. Because if life's good, am I on my knees? Not usually. But thank you, God. Thank you that you have given me this trial in my life that I cannot meet Because what it has done is it has humbled me and it has revealed to me once more that I need you. Does that help? I hope that's helpful for you because we need to refocus our worship, our whole concept of worship. 
that we would know God is sovereign. He is in charge and he is reigning and ruling right now. So don't despair. You're going to get crap this week. I promise you. Like it's going to happen to you. You're going to have tough moments and trials and challenges that you face. Remember that your ability to give thanks is your obedience of worship to God. Because you refocus and you reframe that to look not at your circumstances, but instead to look at God is powerful and mighty and ruling and reigning from heaven. This passage out of Philippians, Paul, when he was in jail, had a bunch of people who were trying to make trouble for him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being the Apostle Paul and having people trying to make trouble for you? But this is what he says at the beginning of Philippians. Philippians 1.15, he says, It's true, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do so out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Watch this now. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, what's he do? He gives thanks. Do you see the perspective of Paul? Look, you got some who are trying to attack me, but do you know who's in charge? My God is in charge. And the name of Jesus is being preached. So I am able, Paul is able to give thanks for everything because he has refocused his concept of worship according to God's sovereignty. Here, here I just want to give you one conclusion for this. Um, it's simply this. When you imitate God as his child, you will supernaturally focus on his will. That's what I'm seeing out of this text. And it's actually this text plus one other. If you wouldn't mind just turning back to the beginning of chapter 5, because we, we started the story in verse 15, right? We started kind of in the middle of chapter 5. Go with me to the beginning of chapter 5, and I want you to just see how Paul starts with the command. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved not soldiers. What is it? Children as his child. An imitator. Be an imitator of God. Um, that word in Greek is um, uh, mimictes. It's where we get the in- English word m- mimic. To mimic somebody, right? You, you guys, you, if you've had brothers and sisters, you know what that feels like. Stop copying me. Stop copying me. Right? That's the... That's what mimicking looks like. And of course, it's annoying when we do it to one another. But do you know where it's spiritually enriching? When you do it with God. That's the command. You need to mimic God. Now, the caribou I was telling you about earlier, right? They, they were doing that because they were watching the older ones. When they watched what the older ones did in the, in the midst of difficulty and trial and mimicked them, they were safe. They, they knew what to do. But when they didn't, yeah, they got scarfed down by the wolves. And, and here's, here's what I want to leave you with on this. Imitation of God is what's important. Not imitation of each other, not imitation of the world, but a mimicry of God. And if you do that as his child, if you remember that I belong to God, he's my heavenly father, and so I want to learn and pattern my life after him. If you do that, you will... I originally, when I wrote this, I just wrote naturally, like, because that's what I actually believe. You will naturally then seek his will, but it's really not natural, right? Can we agree on that? Seeking God's will is not a natural thing that comes to us. It's really a supernatural thing that the spirit does within us. So you will supernaturally focus on his will. 
when you mimic God. And so this is where we have to end things for today. We looked at six different ways of refocusing our lives. And my question for you is, where do you need to imitate God better? Where do you need to imitate God better? In your sermon notes, you'll see at the very bottom, all six options right here. Is it how you live? Peripateo, right? How you walk? Or is it in your work? Because you need to make the most of every opportunity. There's brokenness all around you. God's made you the repairman. Is that where you need to imitate God better? Or maybe it's in your will. The things that you desire. The things that you love. Or maybe it's the spirit working in your life. And how you think. Because you're just not filled with the spirit. Because you're so overcome with your own pride like I've been in the past. Or maybe it's your words. Talking about the game or the weather. More than you're talking about Jesus. Or maybe it's in worship itself. I would encourage you, as you have opportunity on your sermon notes, let me ask you try to try to circle one of those. Which one of those six would you be willing to be on the hook for, accountable before God? I pledge to you this week, God, I need to do a better job imitating you, mimicking you. Would you be willing to do that? Let's pray together this morning.